Some of you may be getting sick of this uh, parable, but, uh, you know, it's what I do. I, I wear things out. I find a horse, and I just keep, never mind. Um, <clears throat> what we're doing is we're, we're using the parable of the, well, the two lost sons. It's, it's often called the, the parable of the lost son, uh, the prodigal son. But we're using that as a lens through which to understand who God is and what is the basis of our relationship with him. And we sort of uh, combed the context of the passage uh, a few weeks ago, and then last week we, we sort of looked at what this passage says about sin. And today is, is a different angle on that idea, and it's really just an exploration of what does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost spiritually? Um, and can we be right here in the presence of God and his family and still be lost spiritually? That's the question that, that is in front of us this morning. And as we, as we read this passage, I want you to think about it in those terms. What does it mean to be lost and maybe, what does it mean for me to be lost? And what does that look like? And so, I'm going to take us through uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And just encourage you to be thinking about this idea of lostness, if you will, and what that means for us. So, uh, here we go. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Craig, I would just like to say I have given you a goat. Yeah. You've, you've at least got that going for you. Never mind, it was in his office on his 50th birthday. Excremented all over his nice Persian rug in there. I don't know why I'm reminding you this, because I'm not 50 yet, so what are friends for? Exactly. Payback, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, do you know where Sri Lanka is? Do you, do you know where Sri Lanka is? I'm just trying to, th- is there like Botswana? You know where that is? Yeah? Mm, I'll come up with something. All right. So. Let's just uh, sort of jump to the irony of the story. And I think we, we kind of got there with the kids that the, the son who's always there is left out. He's standing outside. The, the son who had put himself out of the family is at the center of the celebration. And you know as we as we talked about this a couple of weeks ago the the obvious aim of this story is the the pharisees and the teachers of the law the religiously upright who were standing around this crowd of misfits that Jesus was talking to um and they had this air of superiority that they had this religious thing figured out And Jesus was trying to communicate primarily to them uh, something that I think all of us need to understand, that we can appear to be altogether with it, spiritually or materially or in any other way, and at the heart be lost be in a position that we find ourselves at some point 
outside the celebration, standing isolated and separated from what God is really doing. And I want to just sort of bounce through this passage with that idea in mind, that idea of lostness, and try to understand what Jesus is saying, and really try to understand what he's saying to us, to me, to you. Um, So, you know, most obvious in this passage, and, and uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but this younger son's boldness in saying, hey, dad, I'm sick of you, but can I have your stuff that's coming my way? Can I have it now? Um, and just the ridiculous display of pride from this younger son. Is that fair? Can we all agree there? Uh, I mean, this is, uh, Jesus is, uh, he's casting two extremes in the, in the characters of this story, obviously, to make his point. But character number one does the unthinkable and sort of proves his fixed position in his own pride to everyone who's listening. Like, okay, so let's start there and just sort of establish this point from the beginning of the story that being lost starts with pride. Pride is the beginning of lostness. Our pride is the cornerstone of our lostness. Um, You know, the younger son exhibits his pride by saying, I deserve freedom from constraint. You're not the boss of me. Um, I'm going to do what I want. And off he goes, right? Um, Selfish independence yields isolation. This young man finds himself lost and alone and starving, quite literally. Um, He throws off all the social constraints of his time and launches out on his own and winds up alone. And his self-indulgence yields enslavement. We can roll that out in any number of ways. That when we follow our appetites in the name of freedom, self-indulgent freedom, we are ultimately going down the road to slavery, to addiction, to uh, ruin, to emptiness, to you name it. And Jesus very clearly casts the logical conclusion of this kind of pride, this kind of pride that says, I don't accept your constraints on me. I will be free. And that freedom is actually 
an idolatry of self that winds us up enslaved to someone or something else. Uh, Ironic, but powerfully ironic, that our pursuit of freedom winds us up in bondage. Um, The more surprising component that we find in this story, I think, is the pride of the older brother. The one who says, I, I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to, I've got this. I'm going to nail this. I've, I can handle this. Uh, he, in his pride, says, I deserve rewards for my moral behavior, for my moral uprightness, for my obedience. I deserve something for that. Um, you know, where do, we, where do we want to draw the analogy? At, at home or at work, uh, let's say you have a, uh, your first job at a restaurant. All right, and, and you're the new hire, and so you've got, at closing, you've got the mop the floors, clean the tables job, right? If you do it all perfectly well, everything's shiny and clean when you're done, do you get a bonus? No, you did your job, right? And you want to do it well so that your boss notices and appreciates your work ethic. Um, but you don't get a bonus for doing what you were told to do. If I uh, tell my daughters to do the dishes and they do the dishes, I don't pay them for that. Right? That's just a chore. It's a part of being in a family. Right? Um, and my wife's thinking, when have I asked them to do the dishes? And they actually did them. I don't remember that. I'm just, just kidding. Just kidding. Sorry. Hey. Hey. Why is he picking on us? Um, when we do what is right, that's it. That's... We're, we're, we don't deserve anything extra for doing what doing right is its own reward. Um, so the older brother has done everything right, but has this sense of entitlement that that makes me deserving of something else. It's his pride that is feeding this mentality within him he thinks he deserves rewards for his moral good behavior. And if we live by this mentality, prosperity, success, only makes us, well, superior or feel superior. Right? So the, the, this brother has a position of moral superiority in relation to his wild brother. That's not, that's not surprising, is it? 
No. Uh, he's done everything right. His little brother's done everything wrong. And he's going, well, I'm, I'm in a better position than him. I deserve more than he does. And in some sense, he might actually be right. But success, if you're, if you're living on and feeding off of your pride that you deserve something from God or anyone else for your good behavior, success, when success comes your way, it only gives you a superiority complex, which helps us understand why the younger brother wanted to get out of Dodge, right? The older brother says, I got this. I'm all over this. I can knock this good behavior out of the park. And the little brother's like, I've already blown it once and twice and a few other times. I'll never measure up to that standard. I'm out of here. I can't, he's just a jerk. He's just so, he thinks he's so much better than I am. I want out of here. And so off he goes. Um, Prosperity to this mentality yields a sense of superiority. But suffering, when you do everything right, and then things don't work out the way you had hoped, that yields anger and resentment. I deserve better than this. I did everything right. You see that sense of entitlement in this person's mentality, the way he talks to his father. Um, You know, it's shocking, actually. I mean, Jesus is going for high shock value and the hey listen you know i've done everything you asked me to do i've been slaving for you and then this jerk comes home and you just kill the fattened calf and have a party are you kidding me he doesn't deserve that being lost starts with our pride what's interesting is Jesus is pointing out that whichever direction is our default, our pride stands ready to feed that monster. So if my default is self-indulgence, my pride says, you deserve that. Do it. Have fun. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do. If my default is moral conformity, my pride says, well, of course, that's the right thing to do. And when you, you're going to do it well, you're going to do it better than most, and therefore you're going to be in a superior position than most. You deserve more. And Jesus says it doesn't matter what your tendency is to one extreme, the other, or anywhere in between. Your pride stands ready to help you in your rebellion from God. So being lost starts with pride, and being lost is driven by fear. The rebellious brother says, I'm afraid I can never live up to this standard. In fact, I know I can't. So I'm going to throw the standards out. I'm going to go my own way, uh, because I'm terrified that if I stayed and tried to play by the rules, I would be disqualified. So I'm just going to disqualify myself from the get-go, and we're going to go have a good time. So he says, forget it. 
I'll just indulge myself. That's my solution. But his motive is fear of failure. And so he throws the whole thing out the window. Um, The other personality described here says in his heart, I'm afraid I won't be good enough. Uh, and so he, he, he winds up, did you catch his word? So the younger brother goes off in his self-indulgent journey and winds up in slavery. The older brother stays, is right there, does everything as well as he possibly can, and he himself, he condemns himself with his own words and says, I was slaving for you. Wait a minute, what? Um, slavery is maintained by fear. Fear of the consequences of not obeying. So the older brother, in this irony, says, I'm in the same boat as him. I have taken my stand and listened to my pride, and I have found myself in fear of losing my good standing, enslaved to what my father wants. Jesus says, if you follow your pride, you will both, all of us will wind up enslaved to something or someone else. So the little brother says, I will slavishly improve myself to make sure that I don't lose my good standing. Um, And we're working through a, a... a resource, a book by a guy named Timothy Keller. And Dr. Keller makes a great point in this chapter that morality born of fear will never root out the radical self-centeredness of the human heart. It is self-interested morality, self-protective morality. I'm doing good in order to avoid what I fear. So when we're motivated to be good, but it's motivated out of fear, we're dead. I will slavishly work to improve myself, that brother says in his heart, and I will aggressively defend myself when my credentials are threatened, when my uh, character is questioned, I will aggressively defend myself. And (laughs) um, my wife's looking at me like, are you listening to yourself? Because I've heard you aggressively defend yourself, and she's right. It's what we do. Um, When we're living out of pride and fear, we have to protect and defend 
our own interests. Um, This self-defense leaves us in a comparison trap. The brother, the older brother, is looking at the younger brother as his standard. I'm better than him. I'm better than him. How dare you offend me? I'm better than him. And how dare you elevate him because I'm obviously better than him. What is going on here? And he, he insults his father and he insults his brother um, and conveniently leaves himself uh, out of the condemnation. One of the centerpieces of this story is the forgiveness that the father bestows upon the wild son. The brother cannot forgive him because he feels superior to him. His pride is telling him, I'm better than you. We can't forgive people that we think we are better than. It won't happen. It's, a, it's, a, it's an impossibility. So what do we do? What is Jesus calling out of us? He's saying being lost is not the end. It starts with pride. It's fed by fear. But that's not all there is. Uh, Jesus says himself in Luke chapter 19, the verse references there for you, I have come to seek and save the lost. And you see the father do this in both directions in this parable. He sees his wild son staggering home, barefoot and dirty, and he runs. And he throws his clean, uh, well-groomed arms around him and embraces him. And then he finds his prideful older son outside, and the father comes out to him. This pursuit of lost souls that Jesus said he was all about. That's why he came, to seek and save the lost. That process starts with humility. We see this in the younger son who breaks. His rebellion is so obvious, even he gets it eventually. When he gets to the end of everything he had. He's empty, he's hungry, he's alone, he's ready. He cannot be very full of himself as he's giving food he wish he could eat to pigs. And we must confess our pride as human beings We need to recognize in this story both brothers are lost. The father comes to each of them in in his own way. Um, The problem is, for this one brother, he doesn't realize he's lost until he finds himself standing outside the celebration alone. He's like, what's going on? What's wrong with this situation? It's obviously not me. And his pride hasn't broken. And so 
we are called to confess our pride and to come to God empty. Easily done for the one brother who's lost everything. Easily done. But it's a model for all of us that we come to God empty-handed. There's a famous preacher, I can't remember who he was, but he, he says, uh, he's famous for saying, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. That's not much of a contribution. Um, we come to God empty. And we say, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I confess that I am prideful and sinful. And I trust you to do the rest. You know, the point that Jesus is making even to the Pharisees on the outside of the group um, is we're all in the same Titanic. This ship is going down. And here we sit We are not just to look at the broken center and say, I have been there. We're to look at the broken center and say, I am there. That's me. That's where I live. I'm no better than you. I'm no smarter. I'm no, I'm, I've got nothing. And when we can do that, to ourselves and to each other, that has a powerful um, drawing effect on people around us. So instead of repelling the, the younger brother, if you will, away and out, we say, I'm right there with you. I'm just as prideful and sick as you are. And I am just as much in need of grace and salvation and forgiveness as you are. We confess our pride and come to God empty. And here's the heart of what Jesus is saying. That we must be motivated in our faith by love alone. The alternative is fear And the Bible actually says, perfect love casts out fear. Right? So these are opposites. And when we are motivated out of fear to obey or disobey, that will only end in slavery. The path to freedom is love. And so I obey not because I'm afraid of the consequences, but because I love God. And I understand his love for me and and the grace and the forgiveness that has come into my life because of what he did for me. This allows us to find security and rest. This younger son who clearly does not deserve to be at the center of the party finds himself secure, the father's ring, the father's robe, the father's sandals, the father's embrace. Secure 
and at rest in his father's strength, not his own. And in that faith motivated by love, we find true freedom and joy. We have stopped the the cycle of what I must do to either get away or comply. And we've said, I see it. I see it. Both paths lead to slavery. And I want to I lay down my pride and open my heart to you. And there we find in the love of God freedom and joy. And we'll talk about this more towards the end of the series, this whole idea of this feast to which we are invited. But for now, we'll just leave it at the joy that is ours in Christ, not because of what we uh, think we deserve, but because of what Christ has done for us. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which you challenge our souls and call us to humbly come before you and rest, to rest in your strength, in your grace, in your love, in your forgiveness, and to find the freedom that is ours in Christ, to enjoy you for who you are and not to uh, fear you. Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you for your love. Thank you for that grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.